part, the third part of our vision, which this morning is on outreach. So if you would, two passages I'd like to read, kind of set the, set the foundation. One is John 4, 27 through 38, and the second is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. So John 4. And so at this point, verse 27... Jesus' disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, why, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul here writing to Corinthians. We're jumping in kind of in the middle of a story, in the middle of of a letter, but we'll pull some things from that this morning just to focus in on this whole area of outreach. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law law toward Christ, that I may win those who are without law. To the weak... Paul said, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partakers of it with you. Now he continues, verse 24. Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, Lord, again, we're thankful for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us individually and as a church. And, Lord, we know that your word is alive and powerful and that, Lord, your word can go in and begin to divide between thoughts and tents of our hearts, can begin to show us things that maybe we've not seen or we need to see again. Jesus, you said you'd send your Holy Spirit and he would convict us of of the things that we need to be convicted of. He would teach us all things. He would lead us. You said the spiritual man understands the things of the spirit. 
So Lord, please, by your Holy Spirit, we, we, we just open our hearts to your word, to your truth. I ask, Lord, that you break it fresh, the things that I prepare. Feed us, Lord, we're hungry. We wanna know you, we wanna grow in our faith. And Lord, I'm also praying, and we're joining together as Christians for those who, might, who may be listening who are not a believer. And Lord, your word is still true. Your gospel is still powerful. And we're asking, Lord, that you might open the eyes of some even this morning to receive the gospel, to see the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus. We thank you for loving us the way that you do. We thank you for dying for us on the cross that we, our sins might be put away and, our, and us forgiven and finding grace, unmerited favor because of what Jesus did for us. We thank you for that. We ask that there might be some even this morning that enter into that new life that you promised to those through faith. So bless the word I ask to all of us in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> there is a person who to this day is a very significant person in my life. Now, I cannot tell you this morning whether he is dead or alive. I cannot tell you what he looks like. I cannot even tell you his name. Nor can I tell you one thing that he said to me 40 years ago on a tennis court in Virginia. This person who I had just met jumped across the net, shook my hand, and thanked me for playing. We had just finished our set, and I was still feeling the effects of marijuana I had smoked before I came. And just as our mutual friend had warned me, this young man handed me a little pamphlet and began sharing with me about my need to get right with God. I can't tell you a word he said. I can't tell you what the track said. The only thing I can tell you is that the Spirit of God got my attention. He cleared up my mind, and he turned my life around 180 degrees from the direction it was heading. No longer did I want to smoke pot. No longer did I want to live with the girl I was visiting. No longer did I want to hang out in the pubs, drinking and partying with my friends. In fact, I tried that, and I was miserable. In a moment of time, with a simple few words from this young man's mouth, my life was turned around and changed forever. When he talked to me that cloudy fall afternoon, when he handed me that track, which I read in the front seat of my 1966 Volkswagen Bug, after he left, <laughs> totally unbeknownst to him, Maybe even to this day, the love of God that had struck my heart, maybe we call it the lightning of God, deep in my soul was an overwhelming conviction, and I got right with God. He knew nothing about that. That conviction consumed me. And so three months later, after packing up everything that I owned in New York, knowing I had to get out of there if I was going to get right with God, drove across the United States of America, wound up in Southern California, and three months later, I returned to my, my Savior, the prodigal, home again. I was thankful for his mercy. I clapped when I went forward. I was so thankful that the conviction and that deep, deep desire I had to be right with God was over, and God revealed himself and saved me. So as I've often thought about that little time on a tennis court, maybe 20 minutes, I realize that even the briefest moment of my life can have an impact for all eternity. I realize that the shortest conversation with a person, maybe even someone I don't know, may turn them from darkness to light, 
from death to life. It is true, it is true. All because of yous. Thank you, God, and thank you, you. Someone shared with me, I have no idea who that is, but I'm telling you what, it absolutely changed the whole of my life. Psalm 1130, Proverbs 1130 says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. John Wesley, a great soul winner, said, you have one business on earth, that is to save souls. Our mission, our ongoing purpose at Calvary Chapel South is engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Equip the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ and then enrich the community with the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Our vision points, our vista, our outlook, our panorama is three things that we've been looking at. We looked at discipleship, that's our mountain. We looked at oxygen, that's our prayer. This morning we want to look at our boots, our gospel boots, which is outreach. So we want to talk about outreach, putting on our gospel boots to engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ and these other three, other two. It's outreach, but I think that word can be so used that we lose the whole dynamic. So what I'd like to propose is outreach by reaching out. In other words, there's a need to extend ourselves to other people. Outreach by reaching out. It's our marching orders as Christians. Having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of feet. We put on our gospel boots and we're moving forward. We will go all out in building relationships outside the walls of this building. All out and into our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You ever look at your feet and say, man, those are beautiful. <laughs> when God sees us marching forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he sees. It's making our steps in order to take back for God his people. Now, certainly outreach includes putting on our gospel boots and going on missions trips, sending and supporting missionaries, engaging in missions projects, our ends of the earth. It certainly includes that. We have a 14-member team leaving for Uganda on, in Africa on September 30th. We have a five-member team heading to Iraq in November to understand better how we can support the work of FIA there. They're having also a meeting in Cyprus. So we are engaging the cultures cross seas. CCS is helping to send Jordan and Amanda to live in Iraq to learn how to reach the Iraq people for Christ. And many other things are we engaged in cross-culturally across the seas. We've put on our gospel boots or in even in, in having an even greater involvement in the things of our Jerusalem, our Judea, the local community. Many of you know the sea meal. Many of you have served at the sea meal. That started out as a little uh, idea in someone's mind and then became a, a classroom where we had it and now it's out in our lobby and it fills a lobby with, with people that we're feeding as well as people that are volunteering. We have extended our staff 
to be available at Mill Creek Middle School. Our middle school director, Josh, has been invited by the school to lead after-school programs and be an influence there through Young Life. Ken Elementary, the reader board for Ken Elementary, right across Meeker here, read this past, uh, this year, quote, Ken Elementary Musical will be at Calvary Chapel South. That was on their reader board. And so they marched their entire student body across Meeker and came here to watch their, their, uh, their musical. Brad Hope, and there are many others, but Brad and Hope Wise are ministering to people through Community Northwest by planning events weekly for the, for the large apartment complex they live in and ministering the gospel through that. We're putting on our gospel boots and asking God to help us in reaching our Samaria. Now, Samaria to me is those difficult places, the things that we, you know, that, that, that we might not even like. And so those things that, we're, we're, that make us afraid, the things that we just don't know what to do with. Now, Holly Andrews pioneered extending our influence to the refugee population through the cafe in the lobby. I don't know if you know that, but there's ministry going on both ways in our cafe. I asked if she would write me a little blurb on that, and this is what she wrote. God ignited a passion in my heart to use the cafe as a way to enfold refugees into our community of Christ followers with the vision that both the trainees and the church community would grow. I long to see our refugee neighbors drawn closer to God in the context of relationship and empowered to flourish in their new home through valuable employment training. I believe in many ways God has equipped the church to provide for the stranger socially, spiritually, and practically. I was equally excited to envision how these particular people from different cultures and journeys would transform us within the church how they could reshape some of our misperceptions and help us learn firsthand how to serve, relate, and befriend refugees. It was my hope that the relationships formed with trainees would go beyond the walls of the church and that God would use this connection to call believers to serve the nations nearby and afar, unquote. World Relief and Calvary Chapel South have teamed up to host their Christmas party where many refugees first experienced ever even being in a church building. And that's happened now for three or four years. I have it on my heart, and so now in my reading, trying to understand and get equipped, to understand and reach out to the gay community with the love of God. And so we have these things that we're doing, and I will tell you that I am blessed to say that the time would fail me to tell you of all the things that God is doing here and through Calvary Chapel South. It's very exciting, and it's very cool. And a lot of it's just happening just with people's hearts being moved to do things, they're going out and doing them, and God is blessing because our desire is to see people know Christ. Can I hear an amen? Come to the gospel. Now, I'm also mindful, and by the way, we give God all the credit. Unto you be the glory, great things you have done. We're just instruments in his hands. I'm also mindful that God has much more for us at Calvary Chapel South. He always will if, we will be diligent to pray and seek him for what he wants to do with his church and this fellowship of believers at Calvary Chapel South. That there will always be the next if we have the courage to believe and change and the wisdom to know how and when. There will always be more that God has for us. It's exciting to serve God. So we, we dare not rest on our laurels. We dare not rest on our lees, if you will, as the scriptures would put it. 
Paul said, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward for the things that God yet has for me. God has more for us as a church. All the work ahead is always more exciting than any work already done. All the work ahead is always more exciting than any work that's already done. God, give us fresh vision, fresh futures that we can move forward and see more and more fruit to the kingdom of God. But this morning, I'd like to enlarge your vision. I'd like to ask you each personally, as well as myself, this question. What is yet possible for you if on a day-by-day basis, every morning when you wake up and you head out the door, you courageously strap on your gospel boots and strategically set out to make a difference in the life of just one person? Just one person. What is yet possible for you? Or what is yet possible for you if on a day-by-day basis, every evening, when the day is over and you're going to bed, you're thanking God for that one person, you're praying for them, and you're resting in joy of having been used by God to touch a life. You see, every time that I have some kind of gospel interaction with another person, I leave a happy man. It's fun. I have a fun story for you. We're remodeling my son's house. We're almost done. Right, Brandon? Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's been about seven weeks, and a couple, week and a half ago or so, we went to Home Depot because they got new locks and all that stuff, so we went to Home Depot, Charlotte and I, to get, a, to get keys made, duplicate keys. Now, I didn't know they had these smart keys now. It's amazing how they do keys now, but I didn't know that. So brought the key in, said, can you give me four copies of this key? Charlotte and I found a guy and we said, hey, can you help us? A young man. He had his, you know, Home Depot apron on, little thing. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Very helpful, very nice, very kind, very, very interactive. So got there, I said, so how long have you been working at Home Depot? A mm, couple months. Really? Do you like it? Oh, I love it. This is great. I want to be a manager of Home Depot. I said, really? And do you, do you go to church? That's one of my favorite questions. Do you go to church? Because I'm a pastor, so I can ask that. Well, so can you. It's a great question. Do you go to church? Oh, no. And then, you know, kind of the head. Well, I said, so have you ever been to church? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to go with my parents. Really? So I said, I said to him, you need to get back to church. Yeah, I know. I said, you got, are you married? No, no. I've been living with my girlfriend for six years. Really? I said, you need to marry your girlfriend. <laughs> and then I said, and you need to have a family. So he gets all the keys made. And I'm thinking, you know. And he gets all four made, and I said, so there are four, uh, four keys, right? He said, yeah, I have four keys. Okay, so let me tell you what the four keys are. He's kind of like, I said, here's the four keys. Number one, you got to get to church. Number two, you got to marry the girl you're living with. Number three, and by the way, he has a, family, a church background, so he understands that. Three, you have to have a family. And then four, you have to be a manager of Home Depot. That's the four keys. I'm going to leave you with my four keys, and thank you for those four keys. So I left. I didn't think I'd ever see him again, but I thought, oh, okay. So we go in there yesterday or two days ago to get a replacement for a lock that wasn't the same, and here he is again. 
I said, how are you doing? <laughs> and, he remember, and he's very, just a great young man. Just very, you know, wasn't, it was just great. I said, so, do you remember me? Oh, yeah. And he still had my card in his apron, you know. I said, do you remember the four keys? Well, I remember two of them. <laughs> have to get to church and I have to marry my girlfriend. <laughs> and it was just fun, you know. So here, here left him with some keys. So for me and for you, it's always fun. It's a joyous thing. Those who sow in tears shall no doubt return rejoicing. They, Jesus said they rejoice together, the sower and the reaper. There's just this rejoicing in being engaged in the culture, listen, with the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have a truth that people need, and though they may not want it right there, we're sowing. We're sowing. Jesus said you're, you're reaping where other people labor. People in our lives as we're, as we're going about, we're sowing with our lives the gospel. I believe that we, must, we, we, we desire to see that more. Thus, we must be more intentional and realize that we ourselves have a challenge before us. And so, what is yet possible for you and for me if we think in terms of one person? I found out after first service that D.L. Moody had that as his goal. Every day, one person a day, he was going to share the gospel with. I didn't know that, even in thinking through these thoughts myself. You see, in our book called Real Life Discipleship, which is the, sec- which is the first book of the second year of The Climb, fantastic book on discipleship, this is the quote. The church is called to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. In other words, every Christian is commanded to participate in the mission to make disciples. So what is yet possible If on a daily basis, day by day, every evening, we're thinking in terms of one person that I might be able to touch their lives with the love of God. So in our passages, in John chapter 4, verse 27, Jesus is talking with one person, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And we're not going to take the time to get into the whole background of this. But basically, as Jesus is talking to this woman and his disciples come back and they say, what are you talking to her about? Why are you talking to her? You see, Jesus in talking to her defied every racial, cultural, and religious prejudice that was held not only by many of the Jews, but many of his own disciples. And these are the things that begin to crumble when we begin to engage the culture with the gospel. That the gospel of Jesus Christ defies prejudice, cultural and religious things that, they, that would say, no, you're not wanted by God. Oh, no, 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 no. You are loved by God. That's the gospel. So the woman leaves her water pot goes back, and what she does is she brings a whole city of men to see Jesus. Now, in my mind, that's making a difference. Now, why they came to Jesus is for us to, to consider. Now, Jesus did say, you've had five, six husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So she comes back to the men and says, you know, he told me everything I ever did, and some of the men are going, really? <laughs> Let me go out and find out what's going on. <laughs> you see, Motivation isn't in God's way. 
with the gospel. Whatever it takes is what I say. And as people are, are questioning and wondering, let them come. Let them hear. Let them think. Let them work through it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. However, the Holy Spirit's going to be doing that, and we could, we'd have as many differences here as we do people. How did God get a hold of you? How did he speak to you? What was the, what was the, the paths, the steps that you took? Who were the people that talked to you? There are as many as there are in, in this room. Isn't God great? He wants to reach us with his love. He wants us to know him. That's the gospel. You see, there are no magic words. They're only our words. It's our testimony. And as she's telling them, these men, she's telling them, now this, this is what I heard and this is what Jesus said. There are our words and then there's the words of Jesus. And combined, they are powerful. They draw people. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There's no greater work than the work of harvesting souls for eternal life. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what he's telling us. Don't, don't say, this is not the time. Don't wait, because there is no need to wait. It's already there, people's lives. So here's a, an important truth, I believe, that's really helpful as you engage people with the gospel, to realize that God is working on their end of things too. He's at work in the lives of those people, and that's why he brought you to them. That's why he brought me to that man in Home Depot. Depot. He's working in his heart. There's things going on in his mind. He's had a church back, things that I shared, things that other people shared, sowing, 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 and he's thinking them, and I'm gonna pray he's thinking them right now as I'm talking. You see, that's the Holy Spirit. That's how God does it. So there is no time or need to wait. And there are no better wages. No better wages. When we get to heaven, I think we're going to be surprised. The guy that spoke to me at tennis court is kind of probably going to be surprised I'm even there. You made it. <laughs> just, just if you can envision a moment that as you're there, as we're there together, and you start seeing people. And you see, the Bible says that that's fruit to our account. So I've been walking steadily with the Lord for 40 years now. As best as I can, by his grace. Right? Yeah, I mean, whoever that guy was, that's 40 years of fruit to his account. You see, the things that he planted are bearing fruit. The things that we share. So there's going to be this, I think, amazing understanding of how great and gracious God is. How good he is. When he not only does it through us, but then he rewards us for it. And we begin to, to, to really partake. There are no better wages. You can work for a lot of other things. All the material things, all the money in the world. You're going to leave it behind but you can take souls with you to, to heaven. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break through and steal, but lay them up in heaven for where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. Let me tell you what Paul said. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the treasure of the gospel. As our treasure becomes God's word, his gospel that saves people's lives, and we're going out to sow the gospel and minister to people his love, and that doesn't mean that we're always going through one, two, three points of the gospel, but rather we're sharing with truth and compassion people, the love of God with people. They're drawn to Jesus. What people don't need is the law. This is what the Bible says. And those who do not have the law are law to themselves. They show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and they're excusing and accusing themselves, trying to get out from under a guilty conscience. In other words, we all are conscious of guilt. We all know sin. That's why when, when the Holy Spirit is ministering, he's ministering the conviction of sin, righteousness, judgment. But people know. You don't have to tell people most of the time what's wrong. They already know. But what the sinner does is try and get out from under that guilt in many different ways, religion, and none of them work. The only one who can set you free is the Son of God who owns the house. He's the slave setter freer, is Jesus. Now, the second passage is in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, what is my reward then? Verse 18, that when I preach the gospel, I preach, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. It's a sad thing, but Paul the Apostle was continuing to have to defend his authority as an apostle. But one thing he would never do is charge people for the gospel. He said, I'll never, I don't want your money. What I want you to do is come to Christ. So he said, if I preach the gospel, verse 16, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? Paul said, the gospel has been given to me as a stewardship. Now I can either fight that or I can enjoy it. When we have money, we see it as a stewardship. Or do we? You see, it's all God's. And we will give an account, accounting of our stewardship of our material things, but thus we will also with our spiritual entrustments. And that's the gospel. So Paul said there's this stewardship that's been given to me. Now, not all Christians are called to the office of an evangelist, but we're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to be evangels. We're all called to, to be ambassadors of the gospel. We are heavenly citizens in a foreign land. That's an ambassador. We bring heaven to earth. We represent heaven on earth. We're ambassadors. So it's as though God were pleading through us with the world, be reconciled to God. How? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God through him. That's how God reconciled us to himself through his son. And we're ambassadors. We just come, here's what, what heaven is offering. If you will come and realize what Jesus has done, you can be a part of our country, our heavenly country. So Paul said, verse 19, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant all that I might win the more. And as you read these, these next few through verses, Paul just wants to win some. How winsome are you? You see, he said 
that I might win the more. There's always more. Always. The world is not short of sinners. Can you hear an amen? The, Lord is not, the, the world is not short of people who need God, need to get saved, need to come to Christ, need to know the love of God, need to be healed, need to experience the mercy of God poured over their lives in His grace. There are always more. And Paul said, though I'm free from all men. In other words, I, I'm not thinking about what man thinks. I've made myself a servant of all that I might win more. Whatever it takes was Paul's banner. He said, to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win, he says, Jews. He said, to those without law, without law. So you might look at them as the religious people. They need to be saved. You might look at those, as he says there, those without law. Maybe the immoral people, they need to be saved. And Paul said, I'm going to do whatever I can to identify with them in their world that I might win them into my world. He says, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Now, Jesus, when he was ministering, when he came to the pride of the religious leaders, he had very stern things to say to them. It's interesting, Paul says, to the weak I became as weak. He doesn't talk about the strong. See, I look at the weak as being those that know they're mortal. They know they need God. But the proud, the Bible says, God sees afar off. Those who think, oh, I don't. And there is that, that need for wisdom sometimes. In, when you speak to people, when I speak to people, when we engage people, there are some that simply are not interested and never will be. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't do it. Win the mortal. Win the immoral. Win the religious ones. I become all things to all men that I might by all means, and here's what he's talking about, save some. He didn't say save all because that will, many are called, few are chosen. But he said, I, I just want to save some. Now this I do, he said, verse 23, for the gospel's sake that I may be partakers of it with you. So he wants to save some. And, and that's Paul's whole motivation. And so I say to myself, is that mine? one person at a time, to somehow every day touch base with someone and talk about, share with them in some manner that they would receive a little taste of heaven. They taste and see the Lord is good. My life would become the ambassador of heaven. So Paul said in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? We're all in a race. But one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may obtain it. Now, that means run, Forrest, run. <laughs> run, Kevin, run. You see, the motivation that comes as a believer in the gospel becomes the motivation to run a race in context is in, the in sharing the gospel. 
run. Run with it. Run with the message. Run for eternity. Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Paul lived his life as though he was an Olympic runner. Now that's very, very pertinent right now for us, isn't it? He had his eyes on the finish line. Run for eternity. Run with certainty. Run with severity. Run, he said, therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I'm not shadow boxing. This isn't just fooling around. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here's Paul's concern. He was concerned that the weakness of his flesh might derail the witness of his faith. That's what he was concerned about that the weakness of his flesh would derail the witness of his faith. And it, it just really solidified, I am going to live a disciplined life. Really what it means, I'm gonna give myself a black eye. I'm gonna beat myself black and blue. He's gonna do whatever it takes to keep the flesh in subjection so that he could run his race and he would win. Now, here's what I find I'm, fight, I'm running against. My flesh. I'm running against myself. Who's going to win? The spirit, my witness, or my weakness? I've got to run in such a way that it's severe on the things that are hindering my witness for Jesus Christ in bringing people to salvation. What's the remedy? Just reverse them. That the witness of my faith derails the weakness of my flesh. In other words, strap on the gospel boots again. Get sharing with people your life in conjunction with your, your relationship with God. And that's a profound thing to me. The armor of the spiritual armor requires the gospel on our feet. No soldier goes into battle without shoot boots on. Be foolish. You wouldn't get very far, but put those boots on and you can begin trampling over enemy territory. That's the gospel. Taking territory through my witness, sharing. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their testimony and they did not love their lives unto death. So I'm going forward and whatever that means, if it means my life itself, so be it because it's worth it. And John Wesley said, God grant that I may never live to be useless. God grant that I may never live to be useless. Pastor Chuck, my pastor, used to say, I pray always that God will never put me on the shelf. See, that's the weakness of the flesh that can destroy the witness of my faith. Now, Paul was always fascinated by the picture of the, of the athlete. Every year in Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games that were second only to the Olympic Games. The athletes would train rigorously and painfully with the goal of standing before the judges and having a perishable wreath placed on their heads while the crowd would stand and applaud and the national anthem was played. Some tears of joy might flow. They might raise their hands acknowledging the applause of the crowd. But soon the crowd would stop applauding. The tears and joy would become a distant memory. 
the victory wreath would wither and it would be all over. Eventually, even that great athlete, him or herself, would face obscurity and death. I wonder how many great athletes have gone into history with nothing more than a faded memory or a perishable wreath to show for their lives. You do know that when when they win gold, athletes, many of them hardly know what to do. There's a certain emptiness that goes over their lives for a season. Because really, all the accolades, all the gold of this world is not the answer to the clamant cry of our hearts for God. To know him and walk with him and all the greatest achievements that this world can offer wind up empty in the heart of man because God designed us to know him and love him and walk with him and and honor him and, and, and give our lives for his work and not our own. So I wonder how many Christians have gone into eternity with nothing more than a faded memory of a perishable wreath to show for their lives. And God knows. And God wants to grant us tremendous rewards. I have no greater desire than to hear my Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And so what can we do? We need to press on. I want to share three things with you in a moment to help us in reaching out. Our lives counting for eternity. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasant. There are pleasures there. And it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches, riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses could have had everything the world had for him. He said, no. Why? It says, because he looked to the reward. If you were to ask Moses right now, if you could ask him, and when we get to heaven, you can. Uh, Moses, do you think you made the right choice? Oh, you bet I did. And I'd make it all over again. And thus for us, sometimes choices become difficult. What am I going to choose? Hey, we need to look to the reward. We will take nothing with us. Paul said to Timothy, that's sure and certain. Therefore, having what? Food and clothing, we shall be content. Now, it doesn't say anything about houses. It doesn't say anything about cars. Food and clothing. Content, godliness with a contentment is great gain. And so the challenge for us is, what are we giving our lives to that's superseding the gospel? The one person, the one encounter. The missionaries return. After 40 years of faithful service to the Lord as a missionary to Africa, Henry Morrison and his wife were returning to New York. As the ship neared the dock, Henry said to his wife, look at the crowd. They haven't forgotten about us. However, unknown to Henry, the ship also carried President Teddy Roosevelt, returning from a big game hunting trip in Africa. 
Roosevelt stepped from that boat with great fanfare as people were cheering, flags were waving, bands were playing, and reporters were waiting for his comment. Henry and his wife slowly walked away unnoticed. They hailed a cab, which took them to the one-bedroom apartment which had been pro provided by the mission board. Over the next few weeks, Henry tried but failed to put the incident behind him. He was sinking deeper into depression when one evening he said to his wife, this is all wrong. This man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody throws a big party. We give our lives and faithful service to God for all these years, but no one seems to care. His wife cautioned him that he should not feel this way. Henry replied, I know you're right, but I just can't help it. It just isn't right. His wife then said, Henry, you know God doesn't mind if we honestly question him. You need to tell this to the Lord and get this settled now. You will be useless in his ministry unless you do. Henry Morrison then went to his bedroom, got down on his knees, and shades of Habakkuk began pouring out his heart to the Lord. Lord, you know our situation and what's troubling me. We gladly served you faithfully for years without complaining, but now, God, I just can't get this incident out of my mind. After about 10 minutes of fervent prayer, Henry returned to the living room with a peaceful look on his face. His wife said, it looks like you've resolved the matter. What happened? Henry replied, the Lord settled it for me. I told him how bitter I was that the president received this tremendous homecoming, but no one even met us when we returned home. When I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but Henry, you're not home yet. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah is right. We aren't home yet. And until we are, we have opportunity after opportunity. And though no one sees that, God does. He sees our service. He sees our conversations. He sees what we are doing. And the fabulous thing is, he will reward accordingly. So having this gospel treasure, I think one of the first things that came to mind, I put a little saying, have cross-awareness in every relationship. When I talk to someone, be it a believer or a non-believer, I have to keep the cross center to what I'm thinking and how I'm responding because the cross says it all. God crossed the lines of all sin and death in order to rescue us from our sin and death. Can I hear an amen? Have cross awareness every relationship. Now, with that, we cannot expect the non-believer to think, act, or live like the believer. We cannot expect that. We can't afford to miss this point. We can't afford to be unnecessarily saying things and doing things that are driving people from us wanting them to come. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. And so I want to say to you who may be here and are seeking to understand what we believe, welcome. We are glad you are here. We want you to ask your questions. 
We want you to know it's safe to do so. We want you to come and experience the freedom that God gives to you to be who you are as you are and come here and try and find out who he is. We want you wanting to leave with a lingering sense that God indeed cares for you, that God loves you, that God died for you. That's what we want you to leave with, that lingering sense of his presence. We want you to know that God is not making a list and checking it twice. And that you know that we know that we all need a Savior. I'm just a man in need of a Savior is a song. It's a great song. I'm just a man in need of a Savior. We want to help you. We want you to help us see our blind spots. We know we're far from perfect. We know there are things that we say and do that, that we need to be aware of because we can lose sight of that so easily. Of how you see things and how we used to see them because we were right there, all of us, and such were some of you. And we can lose sight of that when you're in the Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You sort of lose track of, what, of how I used to see things when I wasn't walking with the Lord. So we want you to help us see our blinds. It's easy to get tunnel vision. I think of some of the things that I used to do as a young, zealous Christian. I think, oh my goodness. Some of the things I would say, some of the things I'd do. So, oh Lord. And God knows. I want to say to you, my fellow believers, my family, welcome. I'm glad you're here too. And that Jesus loves to hang out with sinners. He loved it, he still does. He wants to reach them because he loves them and cares for them. He came for sinners, losers, and winners. Jesus came not to get a bunch of people to follow his rules. He came to save a bunch of people to follow him, to know him. He came to die and redeem and reconcile sinners. So we can't expect the non-believer to think, act, live like we do. We should expect foul language. We should expect appearance to be maybe something we say, uh. We should expect there's going to be immoral music, possibly. Dirty jokes. X-rated movies, even. It's going to be in the hearts and minds of those who don't know the Lord. And Jesus says, come. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come. I will give you rest. I'll take your life and give you life. Isn't he so good? We want to reach people for the good for the gospel. We want to see people who don't know God coming here, and we've had that happening, and it's exciting. Charlotte and I got to share with, with one person that had, been, that had been coming, and not a believer, listening, 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 and then got saved. Recently, the same thing, I found out there's someone else, that, you know, just individual people coming and listening and interested and talking about the sermon, but not believer. I'm saying, yeah! I don't say it like that all the time, but 
You see, what they need is not religion. What they need is not the law. What they need is redemption. What they need is love. And our lives should be that display, like Jesus said, we are the light of the world. It's the light of God's love lived out through us. It's truth and compassion. The truth is always the truth, and compassion coming alongside truth takes that truth and begins to minister it in a way that God can then take it and use it for his good purposes. So here are three things to close, real simple. O-U-T, outreach. You love it, don't you? Overextending ourselves. That's the first thing. Now, I thought overextend, that has a negative connotation. Well, I want to change that to positive. Is that okay? Because if we're really going to be reaching out, it's going to take an intentional, it's going to be an overextension of what would be normal. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can, forever. (laughs) Hey, overextending ourselves, that's O, U, understanding others. If we are going to reach out to others, we better be doing our heart work and our homework and understand where they're coming from. Understand that culture, understand that group, understand what they think, understand how they got there. And there are are so many groups about which you might have, some of which you have a real burden for. Do you understand them? Do you know where they're coming from? Have you done your research? Have you read some books? Have Have you talked to someone that's ministering there? We need to understand others. And the final thing is we need to trust the Lord we got to trust God for the outcome because it's all in his hands. But if we will be intentional, overextend ourselves, understand others, then God will bring the increase. Can you hear an amen? He will do it. I didn't hear an amen. Thank you. (laughs) Stan, let's close in prayer. Actually, can I read you one more story? Stan, and while the worship team comes up. This is a John, I was, I'm using John Wesley in this study because he was one of the great soul winners. Here's what he said, a story about him. As John Wesley rode across Hunslow Heath, I suppose that's England, late one night, singing a favorite hymn, he was startled by a fierce voice shouting, halt, while a firm hand seized the horse's bridle. Then the man demanded, your money or your life? Wesley obediently emptied his pockets of the few coins they contained, and invited the robber to examine his saddlebags, which were filled with books. This is in the, in the 1700s. Disappointed at the result, the robber was turning away when Mr. Wesley cried, Stop, I have something more to give you. The robber, wondering at this strange call, turned back. Then Mr. Wesley, bend, bending down toward him, said in solemn tones, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life in which you are engaged. If you ever do... I beseech you to remember this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us, cleanseth us from all sin. The robber hurried silently away, and the man of God rode along, praying in his heart that the words spoken might be fixed in the robber's conscience. Years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, the people streamed from the large building with many lingering around the doors to, speak, to see the aged preacher who was John Wesley. A stranger stepped forward, 
and earnestly begged to speak with Mr. Wesley. What a surprise to find that this was the robber of Hunslow Heath, now a well-to-do tradesman in the city, but better still, a child of God. The words spoken that night long ago had been used of God in his conversion. Raising the hand of Mr. Wesley to his lips, he affectionately kissed it and said in tones of deep emotion, to you, sir, to you, dear sir, I owe it all. Nay, 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 my friend, replied Mr. Wesley softly, not to me, but to the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses a man from all sin. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we, we just, as we're going to close in this, this song, before we do, we just say, Lord, grant to us, grant to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, to be ambassadors, witnesses, through the power of your spirit, and as we, we talked about, just overextending ourselves, understanding others, and trusting you. That you would work in and through us, one person at a time. That we might see, Lord, at least in part, some of the fruit of our labors. And then sowing, reaping, rejoicing together for the sake of the gospel. So bless this word to our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name.